नमस्ते अवर लाइफ रन्स ऑन टू पैरल स्ट्रीम्स एज इट वेयर एंड बोथ इंटरसेक्ट मीट नाउ पार्ट नाउ कम अगेन एंड दे हैव एन इंटीमेट बेयरिंग ऑन अवर लाइफ वन इज एन आउटर स्ट्रीम विच मूव्स टूवर्ड्स आउटर गोल्स आउटर थिंग्स आउटर अचीवमेंट्स आउटर सक्सेसेस आउटर ऑब्जेक्ट्स and another which is an inner stream which moves towards inner goals inner achievements inner experiences inner realizations and the relation between the two is very interesting because based on how we receive the outer experiences we grow within and based on how we grow within has an impact and a bearing on how we respond to outer life so it's a constant process a never ending process and the other important thing to realize is that unlike animals up till animals evolution is an unconscious process largely an unconscious process it's very interesting we speak about the law of karma nobody has ever asked whether law of karma applies to animals well it doesn't apply to animals for all we know and the reason is very simple that animals are not individualized enough to make choices so leaving aside the metaphysical part whether karma is reward punishment this life that life it's a learning curve whatever we may uh, all that can be debated and discussed but one thing is there that we as human beings are called upon to make choices we just can't escape it so when people say well i didn't want to do it but uh i did it because i was pressed by somebody or someone in the environment and society so i asked them that uh, what's your age well i am 18 so <laughs> or 15 so the next question is that well finally who said yes well i said yes but under pressure so this but aspect goes away because ultimately the man who signs you know like in any document when you sign a document ultimately you are the one who is accountable if you ask the person that he may say that well i signed because mantri ji had told me because somebody pressurized me no because i have signed ultimately i had a choice i had a choice to resist and say no and take the consequences or to say yes and take the consequences consequences will always follow up on choices so the second thing which is easy enough to understand is the law of karma essentially is about recognizing this principle that there is something like choices and at the same time we understand that for a long time in human evolution these choices are very unconsciously driven choices so as the gita puts it we are like a fly on the wheel yantra rudini maya so while there we may use the word choices but we are much like still like an animal consciousness largely unconscious we are driven by every little uh, you know blow of uh, breeze wind this direction that direction these suggestions these impulsions and we are moved by that now that time we are not really making choices though it may look like we are making choices we are conditioned as it were by everything so what happens to the consequences the consequences will come but the consequences are to teach us to ultimately learn to make choices so this is the first step of learning without which actually speaking no yoga can begin we often speak about yoga as a set of techniques and processes but we miss out a very crucial thing and that has direct bearing upon decision making is that until and unless we have become individuals 
all this talk about surrender offering all this is no meaning because what do we surrender we surrender what we have taken that okay this is mine i surrender but when there is nothing which really belongs to us it's all come of course there is a higher state in which we understand that nothing belongs to us <laughs> it has been given to us for a moment but generally when we are in a state of mass consciousness that's why ego steps in it has its purpose as the mother puts it it's a process of individualization which is important and she says that you know it it creates a mold and then we say ki well this is what through my choices i made these choices and now i offer it to the divine we can't say that somebody else has made a choice for us and now i am offering it to you whatever be the choices we have to make it and second we must know that when we make a choice there are consequences there are inner outer all levels of consequences now when we understand these two things which are both common sense and rational things to understand then it empowers us otherwise all our life we spend complaining grudging there is always somebody else who chose for us uh, so always there is somebody to be blamed well but when we make our choices face the consequences accept it then it is empowerment and i think freedom autonomy empowerment begins from there learning to take responsibility for the choices we make then comes this step that how do we make choices as i said the first step is to understand who we are who is it that is making choices <laughs> otherwise most of our choices will be mechanically driven and we will say that well we made a choice so this process of individualization if you really look at the gita it's very interesting that when shri krishna asks when arjuna asks shri krishna tell me what i should do and what i should not do shri krishna doesn't tell him you do this or you don't do this he gives him a principle of action it's a long journey and at the end he tells arjuna i have told you what i had to tell you now you decide this is something very profound so there is a process that we have to undergo and that process which equips us to make the right choices of course the right in the highest sense is what is yoga because yoga is not withdrawing from life we are in life we have to make choices even as a yogin makes choices even an aspirant makes choices so how does he do it that's where the process that goes on and one of the first things to learn in this process is that i am not this nature which is one of the first fundamental teachings of the gita to learn to separate oneself from this entire field then we discover that what we call as myself we often use the word i have made this choice but who is the i well the i in the morning is very different from the i in the evening the i in the afternoon is very different from the i at night the i yesterday is very different from the i of today so one of the first things we discover which is so interesting is that there is no one i where do we fix my i it is like my eye itself is shifting like sands in shifting sands so the first thing we have to discover it at discover is at least one stable basis behind all this flux otherwise we will think we are making choices but we are just being driven wherever this so called eye is being taken there we go and based on that we make a choice but where is that stable basis that's why one of the first things in uh, of course the integral yoga practice the gita hints about it is to discover the true self within unless we have discovered how are we going to make choices i mean we may think we are making but it's constantly changing so this constantly changing i is the ego self how does the ego self operate and decides it decides on various things one is conditioning from the past so it has received 
certain upbringing based on that it values certain things ultimately it's a question of valuing certain things and based on those value systems which are inbuilt based on our social conditioning both from parents teachers and the environment and society at large we and the information that is fed into us the ego makes a choice and most of the time its choices are based on something which is outward so for instance we are taught that you know if you do this you will get success you will get name fame money but we all know any doesn't require much deep spiritual speculation to see how very transient these things are it doesn't require much and yet we are driven because we are the ego acts like that it's a conditioning at the most at its highest it tries to use reason but reason also is be, is a slave to what i outwardly want so reason is used that well i want to uh, be a rich man or a famous man then now reason comes in what will lead you in that direction and sometimes this reason can be entirely at the mercy of uh, still lower forces then people rationally justify that well world is the way it is everybody in this world is compromised so let, i can also compromise and i can do things whatever to achieve these goals which anybody anyways everybody's goals now when we live life like that then frankly speaking to even talk about choices has no meaning because you know we use the word choices but it's complete ignorance so the first step is to discover is there a stable principle behind the ego self now if there is none as some schools of thought affirm then all this is meaningless but if there is a true principle something which can is the stable basis the unchanging self through all these mutable uh, events circumstances then we must discover it and that first thing is the psychic being but before we discover it we must learn to separate from the field of nature at least know that this is not me this simple exercise practice call it witnessing sakshi bhav contemplating this is the power which is given to human beings and people often say that uh, you know what differentiates human beings from animals is thought i don't think so thought if you look at the animal behavior it looks like something within them is stirring they may not think the way we think just as when we go beyond uh, the realm of words and speech there is another kind of thought which awakens within us which is like a revelatory seeing similarly animals do have some kind of a thought that is how they plan and execute things but what we can do is something which animals cannot do is to learn to separate ourselves from our thought and be a witness to ourselves this is something unique to human beings mentalized people can look at their actions they can look at their vital impulses but truly a developed human beings that's how the mother puts it that the sign of a developed mental being is that he is able to look upon his vital impulses desires emotions and is able to master them by the help of reason but what is the sign of a spiritual being she says someone who can detach even from the mind and look at his own thoughts that's when true spirituality begins that we can look at our thoughts where are they coming from where are they going which direction are they leading me and he is touching that master key because as we think so our uh, actions and you know they get in built it becomes habit character and all those things which you know we are all well aware of so to learn to watch over the thoughts where is this thought coming from and then we go still further and discover the will the motive behind all things now we have a very convenient habit of you know giving a motive attributing a motive uh, unfortunately more often to others 
uh, whereas we are hardly aware of our own motives. Always we have a very good motive. It's a convenient motive. Oh, I am a good guy. I was doing this because of this reason, that reason. But others did like this. But when we really look carefully and look deeply, look sincerely, then we discover, no, it is not like that. We ourselves had a motive which we had conveniently covered with a veil of reason. We had justifications. So we thought that this is my reason, but this was not really true. The reason was used and hired by uh, lower impulses, just like you know, a person hires wakil, uh, advocate, and says, you fight my case. Now, advocate's real business is to explain to his client that, well, it's not about fighting your case. I may fight your case, but I want to know the truth because my main task is to bring truth to justice. That's my task. That's the task of an advocate. It's not that because you have paid me money, therefore I am going to save you. I will give you a counsel. If you have done something mischievous and wrong, I may give you a counsel how to come out with in within the framework of law. That's the task. But then, just like reason, the advocate says, okay, how much money you are going to give me and I am going to win you the case even if you are a, somebody who is a criminal. So similarly, we use reason to satisfy and justify our lower impulses. So, um, this is the first thing that we discover when we step back and try to understand and look at life and look at ourselves in a, uh, in a more dispassionate way, so to say. So, this separation. Second thing that we discover, and that's a little uh, disconcerting discovery, is that uh, we are not made of one piece. As I said, we are made of many, many pieces. See, when we look at the entire evolution of the Gita, we see that Arjuna himself is fraught with so many inner contradictions. And the inner contradictions are not between, we think the choices is between good and bad, right and wrong. For a developed human being, the choices can be right and rival right. That's how Arjuna's choice actually starts from a very high level. He is not asking that, well, I want to enjoy the kingdom, should I fight and slay my brother? No. His choice starts from a very high level of personal ethics and the ethics of that time. That, well... I know it is not good for me to, you know, kill people and just uh, dominate and enjoy the kingdom because he's a Deva type. He's not an Asuric type of humanity. He's a person who is noble, Shrestha in temperament. So he asked that, should I, should I not? Is it, I don't feel I should. He has actually made a decision. I should not because it's not worth enjoying a kingdom at this expense. So there are two rival rights. One is the right of a Kshatriya to fight for what is true and what is just and what is fair. On the other side, there is another right that he should not be the cause of so much uh, loss and bloodshed in his own family members, make them suffer, be a cause of suffering to them. So he's caught between two rival rights. And this is the problem with many people who have risen to a level of nobility, sattvic human beings. And... There is a resolution. Normally we want to resolve it at the level of the mind, but we are unable to. So when we observe all these contradictions within, and the ego will always play with them, then we have to discover that there is the principle of action has to be found in the origin of action. There is a very cryptic phrase in the Gita. It's not cryptic, but I mean, it's, <laughs> it has many implications, profound implications. One of them is that, Sri Krishna says, I am the origin of actions. I am the one from whom the action has originated. What does it mean? It means, it means basically that action, the impulsion to action, 
the power to execute an action the knowledge that is needed for an action all this flows from something much higher beyond the mind it flows from the divine consciousness it flows from the source it flows from the shakti the divine mother doesn't matter which way we what term we use but the impulsion to action the knowledge for the action and the power to execute the action comes from there and the great difficulty of life is how to really listen to that and attune to that because at the level of the mind there will always be conflicting ideals this is right this is also right and you don't know which one to choose so the mind begins to see consequences but this is the most irrational way to look at life yes i use the word irrational because little life experience teaches us that what we are looking in terms of consequences are immediate consequences but we have no idea that these very consequences how they will impact our inner life how even they are going to impact our outer life so when we look at consequences then it begins to interfere it's like a noise which begins to interfere with our own inner state in which we can receive so that's why the first principle of the gita one of the most profound logical principles it is a deep spiritual principle but even logical thing that arjuna stay away don't don't act thinking of what result you are going to get why because anyways it's not in our hands to start with <laughs> so why waste your energy on that direction second well does it mean that i do, shouldn't have uh, things in my mind that i want to go in this direction or that direction of course we must have a name because without that there cannot be any choice but at the same it's not like i'll do whatever comes to my mind and say i don't care for consequence it doesn't mean that i have to act on the basis of the aim that i have put in front of me but when the results when shri krishna speaks about the results it means the immediate results may be favorable to our ego self may not be favorable you know but that the goal that we have chosen that has to be there within us so one of the necessities without which we cannot really make choices before we even arrive at that stage of the highest consciousness pouring into us is to be clear about an aim before we have discovered the psychic being before we are um, receiving direct uh, guidance not just guidance guidance is still a stage behind guidance is like i am there and there is a guide it's still too much of separation but this is a state when all action is a natural spontaneous development of the divine within but that takes time so people often when they hear all this they start saying okay okay fine good very nice wonderful but then you know you go back to life because it's a long journey <laughs> so let's start from the basics the basic is what is my aim now we must we have two kinds of aims i mean if you look at it from the broader perspective so people think about aim i want to earn money i also want to be successful i want to have a good name i want to earn money honestly i want to look after the family now this entire range of i want is all temporary transient aims it's valid it's not about valid or invalid but we must know that when i achieve my aim this will be for a term and a season a day will come when this will slip past us and then we will wonder what do i do next i have so many air force friends and uh, you know military friends so what happens when they retire because so many of them have not thought beyond the retirement frame many people uh, they want to earn money and then sit back and enjoy not knowing that you can't sit back and enjoy like that 
you have no occupation your mind will give you an occupation and one of the worst occupations the mind gives when we have no outer occupation is obsession with oneself what's happening to my body what's happening to my children grandchildren and all around the mind is obsessed and people don't realize that you know uh, sit back and relax and enjoy may it's almost like a euphemism it doesn't re- you know practically apply because uh, we had kept an aim at 60 that aim is over so what happens there is no aim ab to hum pratiksha kar rahe hain yamraj ji ke aane ki we are waiting for the god of death to come or whatever kab aaye humko utha le jaye this is this happens because we never really had a aim or rather we had very transient aims but this another aim which we can place before ourselves and this is how uh, i feel that we should put together one is various temporary transient aims if we have it we must know that it will go away one day second is eternal aims and that's what yoga implies yoga implies that there is an aim beyond the little life in which we are trapped and case the life of our body our outer personality what i ignorantly call as myself there is a much greater aim and that aim is the eternal so the choice that we have to make we must make and that's what i see that at the end gita takes us to that level is things which are temporary the kingdom is temporary the victory is temporary in fact arjuna later on loses when he most wants to win the relatives are temporary the bloodshed is temporary all these things are temporary but what is eternal is that alone is worth having if this feeling this thought this impulsion this aspiration can awaken within us then life would be beautiful and wonderful it will be an endless progression now does it mean that i have to believe in god when i use the word eternal well it depends upon which way we look at it god is a term and much depends on what meaning we put into that term but what it implies is that there are things which do not come to an end with the cessation even of the body and one of them is that there is an eternal progression you know if we just have in this in my mind that i don't want to stop after a certain age i don't want to stop progressing i want to move forward conquer new horizons new vistas i want to enter into that momentum where there is a never ending perfection because perfection is not an end point unlike what we believe every little thing can be made more and more perfect more and more beautiful where is the end of it and the reason it can be done is because we keep changing the more we grow we look at the same thing with a new vision and therefore to learn to improve constantly and to progress endlessly is one of the simplest aims and beautiful aims an eternal aim if i may use the word the word eternal is not used when people say i am i am in pursuit of endless progress i am in pursuit of perfection uh, of course by perfection i not don't mean the, you know uh, those fastidious uh, finicky people who are have you put this picture in this way or that way well that's not perfection that's obsession though the word used is perfection but for perfection means how i can develop more faculties greater capacities how they can all harmonize together how i can arrive at ways of knowledge which transcend my limited human mind and its capacity how i can love truly more deeply more beautifully how i can arrive at an uh, you know a, a harmony which doesn't break with the first uh, loud voice that i hear in my atmosphere or environment how i can uh, discover peace within myself regardless of a battle going on outside how i can always be in a state of constant joy now when we place such aims before ourselves 
then we are actually in the right group we are in moving towards eternal so these are things which are not taken away and that's what we can now understand the law of karma in this deeper sense it is in this great voyage that we are all there and this voyage is the voyage of the supreme and when we look at things from that perspective then we find all our quarrels our you know misgivings our jealousies ambitions so f- meaningless and pointless we are all struggling to arrive at that kind of a perfection but what are we ultimately ending up with we are ending up with getting involved with very very meaningless temporary and transient things so this is how we have to start looking that i am in pursuit of an endless perfection and progression second thing when we try to do that now we can start that where is the key to that endless perfection and progression that key is within us and that key is above us now the moment we take that approach that you know we want to discover that part which truly aspires for constant growth then we discover that 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 go in search of a deeper discovery and something which is higher something which is beyond the mind now this second step is before even we undertake within the frame of nature let's put the highest spot within us so what is that highest spot what is it that deeply moves me what is it that is my passion what engages me interest me most completely so most people will say something outer well this job or that no it's not that why this job engages us so when we go deeper and deeper then we discover that behind all these things there is a quality an aspect an attribute of the divine and that engages me take for instance i can take my profession the the um, being a doctor so you ask a typical uh, person who is going for medicine why do you want to be a doctor so unless the file is corrupted children give the right reply but when the file is corrupted well it's a very respectable thing well if it's a respectable thing you can do many things which will give you respect if respect is what you want then of course some people still crude aims they want to earn money and they give lot of money so i can understand that they are simply uh, filling their pockets of the hole they have created and that's not medicine at all whatever else it is Uh, then there are some people who take interest in a particular subject they say i want to know about the human body how it works and in a particular field i want to know about that so now if it is knowledge of a certain kind then i have one good goal which is knowledge now knowledge is empowerment but then we should not stop with let's say specialization i mean i myself started like that it was not that i want to feel compassionate towards humanity but it was like i want to know and understand how the human mind works very soon i realized the limitations of whatever you know i had studied in during my md and i realized this not what can give me knowledge it is giving me uh, scraps of information and this information uh, the way it is presented is not giving me the truth and even this information is very inadequate so then you discover that if you want knowledge you have to become student of your own self it's not in the book swadhyaya so then you take a pursuit of knowledge and when you pursue knowledge you go beyond the frame see that is how we see that in the great ages it was not denied you start with something material that i want to know about the human body start from the material point of view understand how the anatomy works physiology work but now you biochemistry work but now you want to go further what impels these nerves what happens in the nerve currents what happens in the blood vessels why why the heart begins to beat in a certain way what disturbs its, its rhythm so you go to physical and physiological and psychological causes then one goes still deeper and then you discover that our body the 
the great discovery that we can make pursuing just this one line of knowledge that the body is simply a pedestal and a tool, a vessel, a vehicle for immense forces that pour into it. Then when you go into the background of these forces, you discover that behind all these forces, there is one power, one knowledge. And then you have the aha feeling. And nobody has to tell us this. Oh, that means my body is a vessel and an instrument, a vehicle, a channel for the universal forces and for the divine to pour and use it as an instrument. The whole perspective changes. So then if that knowledge comes to me, then I discover what I should do with my body. But otherwise, if I just look at my body as simply a machine and I am knowing everything about the machine, I am not knowing the most important thing, that little thing, that little dot which is inside. So this pursuit of knowledge, or it could be I want to help people. There are a hundred ways of helping people. Why do I want to help people? Is it an ambition for name, fame, etc.? Again, when we go deep inside this urge to help, we'll discover deep within it's the distortion of a different great truth. It could be because one is generous by nature or because one has deep compassion. But compassion comes when we rise higher. Compassion at the same level is not compassion but pity. It's like you sympathize with people who are in the caught in the same muddle. But compassion is something which has risen to a height and looks at the ignorance in which human beings are trapped. So what I am saying is that basically we have to work backwards and discover what is it that is my highest. Is it love? Is it justice? Is it knowledge? Is it strength? Is it harmony? Is it beauty? Is it bliss? Doesn't matter. Is it peace? Take that one thing and start weaving life around it. The, the highest idea that I can envisage. It will start with the idea because we are given a mind. So mind, let's use the mind in the way it should be used. And the way it should be used is to turn it inward and upward, upcurrent to discover what is that idea that moves me most. It is like automatically if that idea is there, passion and interest and emotions and reason, everything starts aligning. And for each one, this will be unique and different. It could be the idea of transformation, as Sri says so beautifully. A prayer, a master act, a king idea. So it's a king idea. The idea that crowns my personal life. And for each one, it would be... So very often when people say, oh, you must live for the divine. When mother says, it's from the highest standpoint. But many people don't understand what really divine. So the idea... So what is that idea? We must discover the central idea within me. And each of us is born with that idea. Now, if we don't yet have not discovered that idea that moves me, well, then we have to engage with life, understand, search for it, dig deep, read, till we touch a point where we say, this is it, this moves me most. And then we pursue that idea and start organizing. Because now we have at least a name, which means that supposing... I am moved by the idea of beauty and I have to act. So how will I make my choices? I will not make my choices based on right and wrong. That's a reason speaking. But I will make my choices based on is my speech, is my conduct consistent with my ideal of beauty or not? It may be the right thing, but it may not be the beautiful thing. I mean, there are things which are, that's why it is said, Satyam Vada, Priyam Vada. It's not enough just to be right. 
it is important to be beautiful it's important to be it's not enough just to be true it's important that when this truth is expressed it creates harmony because truth is supreme harmony it gives delight because it's also delight so we start with this trail of idea and then we go right up to the end when we touch any idea and take it to its source we will touch the divine without using the word because all these idea forces are leaping out from the one divine in the mind they are mistranslated we have our own understanding of beauty of love knowledge all this is okay but we keep going further we ultimately discover the very source of it we should not stop with our first understanding and explanation and then we start organizing our life then rest is very simple i have to make a choice is it going with my ideal or not going with my ideal if it is with my ideal i make that choice people won't understand me fine doesn't matter anyways who will understand i often give this example of kallu ka gadha that you know kallu and his father are going with a donkey and people start observing and they remark this um, what how stupid these people are they have a donkey and they are walking with the donkey so they think yes that's quite right so they both sit on the donkey then people remark look at it poor donkey they are not even bothered about the donkey so the father gets down then people remark look at this young boy he is sitting on the donkey letting his father walk so he gets down makes the father sit then people start making remark look at this father what kind of an heartless father is he ever saw a father who will not who will take enjoy life and not let his son of tender age sit on it so they both come down now they don't know what to do so they finally tie the donkey with both the all four legs and start carrying him then people again look how stupid they are so please uh, don't take decisions thinking of people this is the worst thing to do when mother was asked uh, duty towards the divine and others she says one who has turned to the divine wants to serve the divine has no more any duties so we have to understand there is a whole hierarchy that's another thing we see in the gita it's not that thinking about your relations and others is not good but in the hierarchy we have to understand that there are four basic standards through which human beings act and they form a hierarchy one is egoism i do think because i want pleasure hedonistic i uh, you know principle purely ego driven the false individuality the individuality that is promoted by the asuric consciousness that i am an individual i decide i make my choices but actually it's made purely based on my selfish interest i'll go to canada i'll go here there why because i want to enjoy i want to earn money it's my right what about parents well i'll see i'll send money regularly now this is a choice based on purely egoistic individuality nothing too great about it most human beings will make such choices the next is to curtail that kind of asuric egoistic individuality there is the sense of society no 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 think about others think about your parents think about your relatives think about society so then people try to form a balance so as i said they go to i mean nothing wrong with canada please uh, canada us go wherever you want to malaysia or france or anywhere uh, or best is of course live in india because um, there is no place like india i must say um because while others are bhog jonis <laughs> you want to exhaust your good karma so go to paradise now no place is paradise incidentally but if you want to evolve come to india so yoga is done here anyways that's an aside now the point is that you know 
beyond the egoistic individual there is society that's why what does reason do it teaches us about that along with democracy democracy is not anarchy very often we think democracy is anarchy i'll do what i feel like why because i have the freedom of speech freedom of democracy is not anarchy democracy is the reign of reason and this reason takes into consideration the common culture the common environment totality of things and then it creates a reason so that there is a balancing between cause and effect between uh, this and that and everybody tries its best so this is the second level when we make our choices based on reason which considers everything the people around the society the parents and you know the world at large but is this the end there is something still greater and that greater is the true individual impulsion from within and there we have the example of a buddha of a shri ramakrishna of vivekananda of shri aurobindo the mother and all of them how they chose if you really look at it now people often speak about buddha's tyag he walked on the threshold and walked away from kingdom because buddha had everything that outwardly we can have but he did not have that thing which he was looking inside so it's something great look at shirobindo shirobindo had everything that you can have outside he was not just ruling a little kingdom he was ruling the hearts and minds of people of that time if you really read through those articles and the newspaper cuttings people regarded him not just as a great man a saint an avatar a yogi a vibhuti that's how people looked upon him adoration adulation a whole nations Uh, honor he was commanding so much so that the dread of shirobindo had spread right into the british parliament that this is the most dangerous man in india now he had that what can be called as outwardly whatever one would want but inwardly also he had some of the most profound experiences of nirvana of uh, of um, of vasudevam sarvamiti what was he seeking then why did he make this choice of coming to pondicherry because he realized that there is something still greater and that greater is of course nature is not equipped for this divine descent which can change our instrument our instruments are ill prepared humanity is ill prepared and he entered into a larger revolution of preparing the larger field of liberating it from ignorance and eventual transformation of nature so meaning thereby that this the individual when he makes the choice now shirobindo leaves that he left again his wife it's not that he didn't love we can see in 1918 what his letter is when she leaves the body all this he left behind and moved on to a place of which nobody knew what's going to happen moved on by an inner impulsion now this inner impulsion when we discover then we are the we are truly have entered the stage of true individual we may use the word psychic being doesn't matter or soul and terms we should not get caught into terms but this is something which acts beyond the frame of the limited time and space and environment in which we are landlocked it opens doors to horizons that choice can change everything in our life imagine a sure window would have continued in the freedom struggle as some people wanted well maybe he would have been called father of a nation i don't know depending on the politics of that time maybe he could have gone to some big name either sacrifice the british government would have found a way and sent to gallows or andaman and his name would have been another name written among the freedom fighters but have you noticed that shorbindo's name is seldom mentioned as a revolutionary it is very interesting i find this interesting he should be without a doubt he is the key to that 
but also because Shirobindo went way beyond it. He is now not only the father of a nation, he is not even the father of humanity, he has become the father of the new creation. This he could do because he made that choice. And what is needed to make that choice? Two things which we miss upon life. It's not enough to know. We must have the courage and the sincerity. Now this impulsion comes to everybody. It's not that only some people are have the privilege of having Krishna by their side. Krishna is in everyone. The Divine Mother impels all of us. There are waves of time which can change our destiny. They take us onto a very different road. But then we fall back. Heaven's call is rare, rarer the heart that heats. And why this happens? Because we don't have the courage. Yes, unfortunately, we don't trust the Divine enough. This lack of courage comes from many reasons. Oh, how could I? Or it could come from attachment to our past way of life. And when we lack that courage, and when we have lacked that sincerity to follow upon the choice that is really dawning upon us, then life becomes miserable. A person who has not listened, who doesn't know that there is something like inner wise or a higher uh, truth, well, he goes through all the uh, consequences uh, which will eventually lead us to understand their temporary nature. But one who has heard the call of the eternal and still does not have the courage and the sincerity to follow it, Ashurabindu says, thrice woe to those. Why? Because then life is not only outwardly miserable, outwardly maybe there is everything, but inwardly it is miserable, like Kansa, like Ravana. It's a miserable life because you have not heard that tremendous call. So to know is first part, but then to act and live, that is the next part. So it's not enough just to know how to take the decisions. So how do we tune into this inner and this higher, as I have said, to take the trail of the idea Cut off this noises of this result, that result. It is one of the things which is like a noise. It doesn't allow us to. Cut off all these suggestions from everybody. People will give suggestions. Let them give suggestions. But sit quietly. Sit quietly in a moment of reckoning. And then what do we do? Ask even the reason to be quiet for a moment. Two things. One is that the decision that I have to make. Is it something based on Something temporary or is it going to help me in my quest for the eternal? Meaning thereby very sincerely, very clearly we have to look at that decision and see how is it going to help me in my deeper quest. Because very often we think that changing, when mother was asked about changing environments, she says those who are not ready to change within want to change their environment and circumstances and situations. But those who change within do not need to change outer environment and situation. So up till a point, it's okay. That's how we evolve. It's a very slow process. I go from one place to another and I evolve. It's a very slow process. It's like changing a life, being born in new circumstances. But those who are really marked out for yoga change within and therefore they evolve. So how is, it, is this decision going to really help me in terms of change? And that's where we see Shurabindo taking, coming all the way to Pondicherry because he needs that space. You need that space and time. Spirituality cannot be practiced without that. One needs that. Even in Karma Yoga. Karma Yoga doesn't mean morning till night, I am all the time busy running from here to there. We need that space, we need that time when we can be with ourselves, speak to our deeper self, inmost self. So, is this change going to help me in that direction or no? So this is one thing which we have to see, the long-term consequences of a goal. 
not just immediate short term short term successes are the worst kind of decisions but long term why am i going the hidden motives as i said and when we have seen it then enter into a state of deep peace referring all of this to the divine presence within and the divine presence above from where the impulsion comes maybe we may feel nothing at that moment don't worry get up don't take a decision maybe next day again there is this cloud moving around never take a decision when one is depressed angry agitated that's the worst state to be in so when this happens sit down clear that cloud that is the thing to be done not decision to be taken so let that cloud be cleared wait one day two day three days four days doesn't matter one day a deep peace will begin to descend why because we are earnestly aspiring tell me ma what should be done and if we continue with this aspiration now, now there are people who may get a direct immediate um, impulsion but i am not speaking of that but wait look how shurbindo waited even at that level of yoga when sister nivedita told him that you know you go away from here because you know british police is after you shurbindo says you know he laughed and told sister nivedita i think yesterday was or two days back was a birthday and he said that you know that i have given myself to the hands of the divine mother do you think now i can act without the divine mother's will so he is waiting for the will and the will comes as a command it may come as a command if you are ready but more often than not it will come like a gentlest of indication inside move in this direction so we take have the courage and the sincerity to move in that direction what if we are not able to move in that direction that's another challenge well in that case we must know fully that there is a deep insincerity and yet whatever direction we have moved the goal should never be forgotten so keep repositioning reorienting like the gps if one has moved in a certain direction let's say somebody wants to live alone and pursue the path of yoga but ends up getting married this happens both have their advantages and disadvantages doesn't matter one way is everything is destroyed gone no now reorient this new life towards that together towards that that is always possible when we have division in the being then the problem comes when we don't have division when is there no division when we look at the one and the goal is clear before us goal is the divine doesn't matter one person together through this job through that job through this occupation through that but we should not fool ourselves we should know that well this is an insincerity which came up i am not saying that marrying is an insincerity i am not saying that insincerity is inside but one was driven by pure desire and lust there are two kinds of um, togetherness one is where one is driven by desire and lust when it is that it is an insincerity whatever justification we may give when it is moved by a deeper love which is not wanting anything expecting anything then that is something else so we have to differentiate within insincerity and sincerity the marker is inside not outside there are people who may live alone all their life and yet not be and claim to pursue yoga and yet may be only locked in the ego self so basically it is about the purpose why we are entering into anything is it leading me towards the goal or not but even if supposing one has entered into a situation where one is knowing that well it will make the goal further it will make the goal further but never lose sight of it keep it in sight who knows what looked like suddenly as if you have 
made a little shift someone used to tell me some very good example and he said uh, long back that see when you he gave the example of the apollo mission he said you know your rocket everything has to be aligned it has to reach the moon now as it takes off just a little deviation you may say it's 1 degree but 1 degree deviation may mean it may go in very different direction yes with the rocket it can happen but if you know how to keep repositioning you will come back to that this is the beauty of human aspiration human faith human will so keep the eyes steadily on the goal wherever one may be whatever be the situation and then we will see that there is a hand which helps guides directs and leads us towards that and the best situation for that is to stay in a state of peace peace quietude equanimity most important fundamental practice of yoga and the least practiced if we are not in a state of equanimity means that there is constant turbulence constant inner noise leave aside the results we may not worry about the results still the mind is restless the vital is restless the emotions are heaving up and down that means that the true divine impulsion cannot come inside even if it comes it will be broken into many disconnected elements and we will not know which way to go so allow this peace to settle down practice equanimity the more equanimity we practice the more we will experience the impulsion and the power to execute it because action comes from there that's why the highest verdict of making the choices is lord let thy will be done सर्वधर्मान परित्यजामामेकम शरणम रजा अहम तो आप सर्व पापे भ्यो मोक्षिष्यामि मासुचा इट्स नॉट अ रिलीजियस टीचिंग समबिल ओ दिस वेरी गुड आई विल मेक माय सरेंडर यू विल फ्री मी फ्रॉम ऑल सिन एंड इविल दिस नॉट फेयर व्हाट अबाउट अदर्स नो इट्स नॉट दैट इट मींस दैट द पर्सन हैज नाउ चोजन टू ओबे द डिवाइन इंपल्शन सो ऑल द कॉन्सिक्वेंसेस गो टू द डिवाइन इट्स प्लेन लॉजिक and it's a even military logic when you actually take the you know or anything in anywhere ultimately who has the who takes the consequences the one who finally signs so if we pass the note to the divine and say you put your seal stamp and signature on it then he says okay and he is not like us he takes responsibility he has taken responsibility of creation also that's why he keeps coming as avatar again and again and then he says okay now i am responsible for you because you had referred this decision to me and because you have referred maybe even if it have not heard the voice still he takes it that well cognizance of the fact that you referred this decision to me but if we don't refer the decision to the divine act on our own he says okay fine you sign if you say consequences well you see you signed it so but even then we can keep on doing it when we have done something with our own signature we can now tell him okay fine it i did it but now you take the responsibility you will take so we can always reorient and reposition ourselves there is nothing like an irreparable damage when we make choices provided we remember the goal provided we turn to the grace provided we turn to that great source of love wisdom splendor power which alone acts in this world so when we start living in that consciousness by making ourselves in a state of quietude peace calm tranquility inner joy then that divine impulsion comes takes hold of us like breath it moves us this is the highest karma yoga where there is no more mind vital heart all these intervening the action comes directly takes hold and acts 
Shubhendu speaks of it so beautifully in Nirvana and works in the world. The only difficulty that then remains is the imperfection of matter, which is where you enter into the yoga of transformation. So the more quieter we are, the more action will develop within us. Because in every one, there is only one power which acts. This is the oneness to which we must rise. It's not this person, that person. There is only one power which is working everywhere, in every creature, in every being. And the more we tune into that, the more our actions will become naturally chimed with God's natural right and truth. Shubhinda uses the word God's natural truth, God's natural right. Right is not what my mind thinks right and wrong. That's what is given to it. But there is something called as God's natural right. That will, which always works with perfect wisdom for taking into account the totality of our own life and the life of those around and eventually to help each one progress in their own way. Let me give an example and then we can close. Take for instance a Buddha. People often say he left and you know, what about Yashodra, his wife, his son? Take it the other way. If Buddha would have remained, maybe she would have been happy. Such a good, noble, sensitive human being. But imagine a Buddha who walked over. It's not only that Buddha helped millions of people, even his wife and son. Imagine what state they would, they would have progressed. Driven by this idea that, look here, my father had such a courage to renounce everything for that sake of great truth. Maybe immediately some reactions or whatever, but eventually they progress. So when we take a decision, keeping in mind only the divine will, you know, that story, little story of Champaklalji, where he continued to wear Janev. And one day the mother asked him, why are you wearing? Because she wanted to point out here, she has to train him for the ultimate perfection. Why are you wearing it? Well, I don't much believe in it now, but my father would feel bad if I don't wear it. So mother gave him a hint. She again didn't make a choice for him. She said, but if you remove it, maybe your father will progress. So you see how beautiful it can be. He may feel bad. That's what with Amritda when he removed the choti. His father felt bad. But that was the turning point in Amritdha's life. So divine impulsion doesn't act according to our little outer uh, good and bad, our little outer right and wrong, our little outer success and failure. It takes into consideration large spaces of time, our ultimate future and the destiny of all those whom we ignorantly believe depend on us. Nobody really depends on us. They have their own individual destiny and maybe by not making the divine choice within me, I am actually withholding them back. But when we act based on this inner divine impulsion, then not only we help ourselves, we help the whole world. We help creation move one step forward. This is the meaning of Lok, um, Lok Sangrahat, where a person is for the good of all creatures. Carrying the march of Sarvabhutite Rata. Sarvabhutite Rata is not opening hospitals, giving money and feeding the poor. Sarvabhutitirata is move forward toward the truth you have seen, even if it be a battle, and it will bring good to everybody. So this is what is meant by carrying the march of civilization together, because one person who forges ahead, obeying the divine impulsion, creates ripples in ten others around. By this very act, he creates a vacuum and others are just drawn naturally. That is the inevitable destiny of mankind. So this is the highest uh, impulsion which we can obey. But short of it, several layers, levels, the entire Gita is there. Nishkam karma, remember and offer, 
turn within constant state of remembrance do all deeds offering it to the divine practice inner quietude inner equanimity inner peace take the decision from the highest possible standpoint available to us it may be reason or the deepest possible impulsion clear the weeds of desires which distort and create noise and take it in a wayward direction attraction for pleasure personal gains profits and then when there is a state of deep peace and quietude and equanimity either we will feel from deep within his little small voice or we will experience the massive descent of the force of god and be driven by it as a leaf is driven by the breath of the divine thank you namaste